we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts... Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clannon. My guest today is Pat Dillon of Dillon Law PC. A little about Pat before we get started. Pat is a lawyer to support his farming habit in Northeast Iowa for nearly 20 years. Pat enjoys working with rural clients, which include farmers, ag businesses, and small business owners. He serves as a municipal attorney for several small Northeast Iowa towns. He handles real estate, bankruptcy, tax preparation, estate planning, probate, and business transition planning for his client. He is a past president and board member of the American Agricultural Law Association and a section chair for the Iowa State Bar Ag Law Section. He has published a book, Field Manual, Iowa's Farmer's Guide to Legal Issues. Prior to the practicing law, he served as an active duty Army logistics officer after attending Iowa State University, where he studied farm operation. His offices in Sumner, West Union, and Volga City, all of which were in Iowa. So, Pat, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thank you. Great. Well, again, just want to thank you for your past service of your active duty. And the taxpayers paid me well. It was fine. So let's just go through a couple of things. I just want to throw out some questions and just get your thoughts and just for our listeners to learn a little about you and your practice and how you work with clients. So why did you get into law? Well, I originally thought that I wanted to get back to Northeast Iowa to raise kids, but I did not want to have discussions about, well, let's not go buy groceries because I haven't sold cattle yet. And I didn't want the cyclic nature of farming while I enjoy it. I didn't want that to drive other opportunities or things you want to uh, do or not do. I, I do find it, it challenging to find, fix problems for people and, and try to find answers. And that's, I've been, I like those kind of challenges in law by the opportunity to do that in rural Iowa. Right. And you know, some of our listeners may not know, but you know, it is not it is not cheap to be a farmer, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. said, you had to be a lawyer to be able to fund your farming habits, right? True farmers, uh, they bury their money in the ground every year. Like right now, fertilizer, chemical, seed, all that stuff is in the ground, 
and you got to wait on uh, it to come back out and harvest, you know, come this fall. So the lawyering allows me a steady source of income and so I can, it can do and pursue what. Well, as farmers, right, your, your money is tied up into the land or the business. You know, farmers put their money back into it. Absolutely. It's a, it's a capital intense operation, no matter which, which avenue of farming you're in. Right. So as far as, um, I know in your bio, you have, you do a lot of things, but let's start, let's just focus on the estate planning, which um, goes into like probate and, you know, other family issues in that. But tell us, tell us why you kind of went into the estate planning, because that seems to be a big part of your business. So, so that's usually the, the biggest problem people have, right? Is, is what, where my stuff goes, who gets it, how do they get it? And is it what I'm doing the right thing to do from a tax perspective, from a, a equities position, from a business survivability position, all those things you kind of have to look at and be able to, to craft a document that once you die, you don't get to change it. So it's, it's important that, that you have someone who can do those things and then also understands where you're coming from. Being able to speak farmer is an important thing because although the agronomists who are listening to this will cringe when I say this, dirt is different. It just holds better soil. Soil is what we grow stuff in. Dirt's what's behind your ear. But, but dirt is different to people, right? It, it, no one's ever come to me and said, I need to save the family sheet back or the chemical plant, right? They don't do that, but they do about farms. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So who, who is your ideal client? So we take quite a few different types of clients and, and I, I don't want to turn anybody off from saying, I don't think that guy wants to help, but ideally we're, we want to work with a, a family that farm that, that is in transition and, and wants to ensure success of the following generation. Now that might be the, the elders are in their sixties and the, the kids are coming back off the college tour, right? And then they need to figure out how to show the old man, the old lady, they know what they're doing. Or it might be thing where you've got a, a child that maybe is coming back in their forties and his mom and dad need the help and, and the farm's never been big enough for more than one income, but it's clear that we need to do something different because mom and dad aren't going to provide the labor anymore. So those are the kind of clients we like working with to, to find a way to successfully meet multiple people's goals. And a lot of times those goals are keeping the farm going, keeping the farm in the family name, avoiding taxes is always a big one to everybody. Those, those types. Now, can you talk about like, what are some types of tools that you use with the state planning with clients? So we use a variety of techniques. We like to look at is doing uh, like a, a war gaming, a little bit of uh, coming from the army background, but, but saying, okay, what happens when, when dad dies? What happens when mom dies? What what does this look like if Junior suddenly, you know, decides to go sell it all, live in the Key West, right? And he leads the operation or she leads the operation. Having that then sparks conversations about, wow, we'd have to do things differently. And then, okay, can we do some of those things now? Or, or do we need to make some adjustments on how we do stuff? Are we overly reliant on one person? There's a, there's that, that uh, willing suspension of disbelief that you're ever going to die that goes along when you're farm operators. And it's 100% chance to everybody that comes in the conference, there's 100% chance everybody in this room is gone. Right. Do you have a, kind of like, you know, the military background, do you have a war story with a family who didn't have the right planning? So that happens a lot. And uh, the basics is, oh, I'll just leave everything equally and we'll let the kids figure it out. Right. That is the simplest, most scary story because there's a lot of lawyers that hear that and just twitch because they know. And that doesn't matter if it's farming or if it's whatever. There's going to be some bloodletting. Uh, there's going to be the, everybody gets along until mom and dad dies. And then we remember who got a swirly and who didn't get to go to prom and all that kind of stuff. But more particularly and more more nuanced, there's a farm family that, that engaged a lawyer, developed a limited farm 
partnership and acquired a lot of property. And there were a lot of kids. And uh, their goal was they'll support the, the farming of the farming kids. They'll make sure this land that, that they acquire is available for the farming kids. But then when the, the non-farming kids, you know, at some point when the farming kids are done, we'll distribute it all and it'll all, it'll all work out. Well, the uh, document appears to be a little inartfully drafted. And while there is still a couple that want to farm, there's now enough political on the other side that they're forcing the distribution of that partnership. And so you've got people in their you know late 50s, early 60s that are heavily invested in equipment uh, and they do have some of their own ground, but they're going to lose access to some of the ground that they built their entire operation around because mom and dad lawyer didn't think about like, how does this end? You know, one of the things we try to do, we try to get people to do buy-sell agreements when they form a company because that's where everybody's getting along, right? That's the time to discuss how do we value this company? Not when you're ticked off that somebody did this and somebody's spouse did that and somebody's kid didn't do this. And that's that's also difficult at that point. Yeah. As far as working with a family it, that, you know, you you put a plan together and that you have a success story. Yeah, we do have those two. Uh, those don't get quite as much uh, play, you know, at the watering holes with the lawyers. But yeah, I worked with a family, put some stuff with some buy-sell agreements and some rights of rental for the on-farm heirs to be able to take, get access to that ground without having to own it or buy it from their siblings. Gave the siblings the ability to not have to have conversations with their brothers and sisters at family Thanksgiving, like, well, what's rent going to be? Past mashed potatoes, right? That's that's not great. Uh, in particular, there was one family we did this for, and then we we bring all the kids in and we kind of walk them through things. And uh, the kids like, well, you you missed me. I didn't hear you say that that my ground also has a right of first refusal for rent and for sale on it. And the dad's like, no, we we excluded you because we know that at one time you wanted to farm, and we want to give you that opportunity without you feeling like you can't do that because your younger siblings gets to rent it first. And the older siblings said, hey, I. I'm past that. Uh, I want the same relationship that the, uh, my sisters get with my brother. I don't want to argue about rent and, and I don't intend to farm. I want to see him rent it from me and I want to hold it as an asset. Without only does that help relieve potential stress, then also it allows that younger sibling right then to know, okay, if mom and dad have all these tied up with these rights to rent, that leaves my war chest available to go by the neighbor's farm and not after you. And, and that's what's happened here. Mom and dad have died. They, they moved on and the, the family is still growing and acquiring land instead of paying lawyers, which is great. What are some tools that you put in place where, or what the family can do so so they don't have these issues at the first death or the second death of the parent? So again, we come down to, we want to make sure that we've got things in position so people can fund, right? They, they want to make sure it's realistic. Right? It's one thing to say on farm here, she gets to buy all the equipment at 70% of the value, but if she didn't have any money, that's no good, right? So we, we're going to make sure that we've got the tools, whether it's, you know, evaluation or, or a period to buy over time, right? Because you control about three P's, right? You control the, the priority, who gets to buy, and then the next one is pricing. And then the, the next one is payment, right? And so you can use those three levers, who gets to buy, how we determine price, and how long do they have to pay for it. Those are great tools to help transition people in individual situations. A 100-acre farmer who raises goats and sells artisanal cheese at two farm markets a year is entirely different than 1,500-head barrel-to-finish operation for hogs. Different cash flow, different needs. Right. So that's the kind of things we try to look at, whether it's buy-sell agreements, whether it's first rights or refusal. Sometimes we hold things uh, in, in different vehicles like LLCs in order to provide people a seat at the table and some of those type of activities. Right, definitely. Because it's easier for for them, meaning the parents or whoever owns a farm, to make these decisions 
installed, they can alleviate a lot of these issues. In the right. Yeah. I, I think I might have said it earlier, but everybody gets long until mom and dad dies. And then that's when the bloodletting seems to come out even more. And sometimes you hear things like, well, mom and dad would never allow this. So that's, I'm going to do this even though no, it doesn't rationally make sense. Well, if it's clear what mom and dad wanted, then we don't have. Right. I remember one will, I did not draft, but I, I probated it where the drafting attorney had put a provision in there and that I'm specifically saying to you, my daughters, that I have purposely devalued the property because I want your brother to succeed. That's why it's lower price. And, and you know, essentially saying, don't challenge it and, and understand my intent has always been that I want this farm to continue. And even if that means you guys got rats, I don't want to be even. I, I read that to them one time when they got all excited about something and that, that shuttered out. What's the best advice that you've ever received? So this is going to sound harsh. It was the old magistrate uh, in Clayton County, my first year practicing law by myself. And uh, he said, hey, on the 23rd uh, of December, if someone comes dragging into your, ho- your office wearing shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt, which is not why in Iowa at that time of year, and they're bruised and they, they're, they look malnourished and they got a skinny kid with them. And they say, help, I've got a legal issue and I need you to take action on it right now. And, and, and I, I guarantee you, I don't have any money, but I need, I'll figure out how to pay you someday and, and uh, it'll, it'll, it'll work out. And he said, if that person doesn't have a brother, an uncle, an aunt, a sister, a mom, a dad, priest, pastor, a lover or an ex-lover that cares enough to pay your initial retainer, then you probably shouldn't. So as far as the practice of law, oh my gosh. Now I like to help people and pay the full, do I, do I make people pay the full straight all the time? No, right. And, and I make it to make that, but, but his point was well taken that, that, you know, if nobody else wants to invest in it, the, then you need to be aware of what you're doing. If you're investing your time and effort. Right. Right. What's your biggest challenge? So my biggest challenge is in estate planning, especially is overcoming the concerns of the the depression era clients who are worried that something else is going to happen. So they need to maintain the asset or something else might happen. And their 17 jars of peanut butter they have stoked in their basement are not enough. They're slowly moving off the, the playing field here. But the other thing is getting over this idea that, that everybody has to be treated exactly the same. Uh, sometimes because they're the oldest, they get this or they get that. Those kind of baked in problems uh, are hard to get over. Uh, fair is what happens the third week of August in Des Moines, as far as I'm concerned. You treat people equitably. I oftentimes I get people off that mindset. Well, I say I'll look at them and say, "Well, you never bought your son a prom dress, right? Because he didn't need one, right? And and that you got him what he needed as a kid. And this is the same thing. We need to get people the things they need. It's okay, you know, if you've got a child that's fabulously wealthy and lives in Oregon and, and works for you know a big tech company. It's okay to say, you know what, they they probably don't need the the, the ten acre patch of you know, it might as well just not, you know, getting that point where they they can feel comfortable to say, I don't have to buy matching sweaters for everybody. Right. Well, just like this, as we talked before, farmers, you know, there's always going to be a kid usually that wants the farm or who is working the farm. And then you have two other siblings that have, they don't want the farm, right? And, and, and devising a way that, that, that recognizes that protection of the equity that on-farm error made is important. And then acknowledging that, you know, yeah, okay, now you hear she stay there and do the work, but also forewent other opportunities, whether that's vacation, education, or, or what have you. And then the kids that left, like they, they seem to sometimes have amnesia about who paid for college and uh, who gave them the down payment money for that first house in Tennessee. You know, those type of things treat people where they need to be treated. And, and 
it, there's a business relationship that develops between generations that if you're not in the business, like it's hard to, you're like, well, this farm is just the way I left it when I graduated high school. No, it's not. We took a risk and we added a new building and sister was instrumental in making sure that we got access to a new market. And without her hard work and dedication to schlep over to the the rural uh, farmer's market on every Monday and sell our freezer beef, we wouldn't be where we're at, right? And and so understanding that the dynamic has changed and people left. Right. What do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Well, I think first is nursing homes and how much they're going to cost. Uh, that That is a critical thing as we plan. They use $3,000 a a month when I started, and now they're like, we used the $9,000. I also wish I knew estate tax wouldn't be such a big deal. Things they just keep raising it. And I do have some clients that's still an issue for, but not a lot. Um, I saw an old joke one time about, as a kid, I thought quicksand would be a bigger part of my life as an adult. <laughs> so I, I, when I went to law school, I really thought that estate taxes, the federal estate tax was going to be a big thing. And even with land prices being as high as they are, there is a section that, that we deal with that has that issue, but not as many people as it was when I started. It, it was state tax had just gone to a million dollars person, and now it's 12.9, whatever. So, right. So, as far as your schooling, because you went to Iowa State and you got your farm operations degree, how's that helped you in your practice? So, I can understand the language of the industry that, that my clients work in without them having to explain things to me and, and spend a lot of time kind of getting educated. Once I was early on, a guy switched, I uh, wanted to switch to the uh, lawsuit mid, midstream to me. Law school teaches you that's a bad idea because you're the next guy. And so I was just kind of, I said, well, I'm not really, not really sure I want to do that problem. And he said that the crop share lease, it's about, we're fighting about who has to pay for what. And the, my lawyers, when I got to the the cost for Roundup, he's like, Roundup, I didn't know there were any horses. In and I, I, you'd have to explain it to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's chemical for, oh, you know, so being able to speak that language, understand that what conservation reserve program payments are, the rules that are associated with them, with the government, the the concern about crop insurance, why it's important to get tile maps, those kind of things help me. And then I also know the production cycles too, like the stressed farmer, yeah, special asset manager flew up from St. Louis. And uh, he's like, I, I do this all the time. I just got done doing this for a dress company. You just need to start selling some of your product earlier than you normally do. We'll, we'll cash flow you out of this. And he's like, take those take those 750 pounds steers of yours and just start selling a couple of bulls every month. And I explained to him that, you know, with the incomplete non-finished beef, it, it's worth way less than a finished one. And you're actually going to get docked and, you know, rail speed, all the things that go along with production agriculture that are just fake in, it made, made my client feel a lot better that he didn't have to stop and explain it to me on why that'd be a bad idea, right? I was just able to, no, that's not. And so those kind of things. And farm op at Iowa State is a broad range. Man, I think I got a year's worth of free life gives. I took classes from forest fires to uh, all sorts of things. And so it gave me a broad breadth of, of things to, to know and trying to satisfy some curiosities with. And that's helpful. What, what is it that makes you, Pat, unique in your in your law firm unique? So I think in Northeast Iowa, there's not a lot of uh, folks who are able to steep farmer. And and there are other people, there are other lawyers when we've got this uh, group of West American Cultural Law Association, which is uh, professors and, and, and practitioners and, and policy people. But even then, the, the actual practicing lawyers out here in the pointy end of the sphere, we make up about a third of that group. And there's a lot of rural Iowa lawyers who do good things. But as far as what makes us unique is, is our ability to say we're in, we're literally in the line with you to go dump corn. I've had people come up and ask me questions while we're in the green line waiting. I, they, they seat me 
out in the community at the events, uh, farm auctions. They, they've been the places they go. I go the places they go. So I think that adds familiarity and, and a level of trust. Lawyering is a very personal business. Uh, and you know, people drive by a little lawyer's offices to get to mine. And I'm sure there are other people drive by mine to get to their lawyer because of the relationships and what they want. I think what I pride in is getting people to the right point. I don't know how to do patent law. Don't want to know. But I'll get you to somebody. All right. I do car accidents and I don't do medical malpractice, but I got a guy. Right. Right. You're the expert in your area and then you have other experts in their areas that you share. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about you or anything that you want to share? I think not necessarily about me, but about just rural lawyers in general. We are just as competent. We are just as capable uh, as any lawyer in, you know, in a big market. We have access to all the same books they do because they're on electronic digits. We just have to pay the subscription like everybody else. You can find the lawyer that, that meets your needs. And, and sometimes I think people get a little wrapped up about location. Like, oh, well, they practice in rural Iowa. They must only do you know these little things that they wouldn't understand this. So I'm going to have to go to travel to the land of the concrete and find a, a lawyer at a big town. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that uh, rural lawyers, despite the fact there's not that many of us left, we're kind of thinning out, um, right. do a good job of providing good service. How do our listeners find you? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Yep. The, the website is DylanLawPC. Uh, you'll see trackers on it. That's how you know you're at the right DylanLaw. There's, there's other DylanLaws out there. Um, but uh, I'm also on Twitter at, at DylanLaw. Don't necessarily post a lot. Follow a lot of people on there. You know, asking me sure. the platform. And we've got a Facebook page like the rest of the known world apparently does. But uh, um, always happy to uh, talk with folks about an issue that's come off or, or get them in the right direction. Uh, I still wish I had a, that ag law association. I've got friends and contacts throughout the throughout the United States. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been Michael Klan for the Legacy Leaders Podcast. My guest today has been Pat Dillon with Dillon Law PC. If you like more information or learn about Pat Dillon, visit DillonLawPC.com. Pat, thanks again so much for being our guest today on the Legacy Leaders Podcast. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.